Well, are you ready for God's Word this morning? I trust that you are. This morning, we're going to start a new series of messages that we're going to call, You Make the Choice, God Makes the Change. You make the choice, God makes the change. And we're going to see through this series of messages in the weeks to come that all of the great changes that we often ask God for usually requires choices that God calls us to make to bring them into being. Some of the greatest miracles that we see in people's lives in the Bible, more often than not, were triggered by choices they made before God brought the change into being. Now, it's not to say that God doesn't and won't work outside of our choices. He does. He works sovereignly according to His will, according to His plan, and according to His purpose in our lives. But more often than not, when you look at the theme and the thread throughout God's Word, more often than not, when great change comes, usually it's preceded by choices that have been made and brought about by the individual that's believing God for that change. Our choices are vitally important. The great changes that we seek in life are often hinged on the choices that we make. And when our choices are lined up with God's Word and guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives take on great change. Our lives begin to flourish. Our lives begin to be fruitful under His blessing. Years ago, I remember being asked to pray for a man who was a manic depressive. And uh, when I went to pray for this man with the pastor, uh, he couldn't speak. He was so depressed, he was so low, he could not speak, and he couldn't look up. His head was hanging down. He couldn't even look into my eyes. And he'd been like that, the pastor told me, for many years. So, I was asked to pray. I laid my hand on his head to pray, and then suddenly, spontaneously out of my spirit, I started to prophesy. I hadn't, I, I certainly hadn't thought that I was going to prophesy. I was just going to simply pray as I had been asked to pray. But suddenly, as I lay my hand on his head, I started to prophesy over the man's life. The prophecy was very simple very direct. Manic depression is going to leave you. Manic depression is going to go. Your mouth is going to be filled with laughter, and your heart is going to be filled with joy. That was the essence of the prophecy to the man that day. Well, he still stood there silently, he still stood there in his sorrowful state. He still stood there looking down, unable to lift his head. He was escorted back to his seat, and it looked as if nothing at all had happened. I mean, in my mind, I was kind of thinking, oh, hope I said the right thing. 
because nothing happened. Honestly, I did. I thought, you know, they were big words that came out of my mouth. I was, I was, you know, calling into being great change for that man's life. I hope he's not disappointed because nothing happened immediately. And that's what my head was doing. That's the game that my head was playing in my mind. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Well, six or so months later, I went back to that church. This man comes running up to me. I didn't recognize the man, but he, he, he was grasping my hand passionately, looking in my eyes confidently, and saying, I'm healed. I'm healed. God changed my life. He said, I've got such a wonderful testimony to tell you. I said, really? He said, well, I'm the man. I'd forgotten all about it. He said, I'm the man that you prophesied over, the Holy Spirit spoke over some six or eight months ago. And he said, when you were prophesying what you were declaring through the Holy Spirit, he said, nothing was changing. He said, my heart was still as heavy. I was unable to speak and I was bound by all of the sorrow of that depression that I had carried year after year after year. And he was a believer. It wasn't that the man was an unbeliever. He loved Jesus with all of his heart, but he was struggling and bound with sorrow in his soul. His spirit was free, but his soul was bound. His soul was crushed. His soul was overburdened with life's cares, and he didn't know how to break himself free. Well, he ran up to me, and he was shaking me. He said, I'm free, looking in my eyes confidently. He said, the next day, he said, I woke up still depressed. I woke up as usual, still bound by all of the fears and phobias that my life carried. And he said, I decided to get up. And he said, I did something unusual that day. He said, I went for a walk in the park. He said, usually I would never leave the house unless I came to church. He said, but I decided, he said, to, to go for a walk in the park. He said, I walked in the park. He said, crying. It was a beautiful day. He said, crying and still in my sorrowful state. And he said, suddenly. He said, it, he said, it was as if, and this was his words. He said, it was as if light hit me. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. Hallelujah. Anyone that's in me will no longer walk in darkness. I tell you, the light of the world turned up in that man's life, and he no longer formally walked in darkness. Light, he said, hit me, and immediately, he said, my mouth started to laugh, was filled with laughter, as my heart, he said, was, was filled with joy. He said, I could, he, said, he said, I couldn't believe what was happening. He said, because no longer was I depressed. No longer was I bound with sorrow. No longer was I, I uh, under, a, a, under a season of silence and depression. He said, I was suddenly set free. But then he said this to me. He said, when all of this wonderful joy was happening in my heart, he said, my mind rose up. My soul rose up and started to argue with what the Holy Spirit was doing. He said, it was right there and then that I made a choice to go with the change 
that God was bringing about in my life. He said, I made a choice. God made the change. I made the choice. God made the change. Some of us here today may be at a point in our life where we know that we need to make some choices that are in line with God's Word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Choices that are going to set and fix your course to great fruitfulness. Choices that are going to fix and set your course to great blessing. God-centered choices that are going to bring wonderful God change in your life. Change that you've been looking for. Change that seems to have eluded you thus far are going to be preceded by God-centered choices, and those changes that you've been seeking for are going to come about. They're going to come about. They're going to, they're going to spring forth supernaturally as you make those changes that the Holy Spirit guides you to make. It's amazing to see how some of the great changes that we seek in life often hinge, often hinge on sometimes small choices, small choices that we need to make, choices that we need to take, God-centered choices, Holy Spirit-guided choices that result in great change and fruitfulness in our lives. Now, to see this more this morning, we're going to look at a time when God called His people Judah to make a life-defining choice because He was going to bring about great change for His people. At the time, the time that we're going to look into, Judah had lost all hope, but God came into their despair and pain, promising to bring great change and fruitfulness and blessing. But the change that Judah so desperately needed would only be preceded by a choice that God was calling them to make. In a moment, we're going to read from Isaiah 54. And we're going to see in this chapter that God was challenging His people Judah to make the simplest of choices that would bring about the most staggering supernatural change in their lives. All they had to do, all they had to do was believe what God was saying to them and do what He was commanding them to do in order for great fruitfulness, great blessing, and great change to come about. Now, just before we read Isaiah 54, let me just give you some background history that surrounds this incredible chapter. God's people, Judah, had been exiled in Babylon for 70 years. And for many of them, that's all they had ever known. Jerusalem, the city that they longed to return to, which was thousands of miles away, had been destroyed completely, burned by fire, and reduced to ruin and rubble. And because of this, 
because of all of these terrible, tragic incidents in their past, Judah, God's precious people, were at one of their lowest points in history. And Isaiah the prophet shows us just how damaged Judah were by painting three very striking pictures in Isaiah chapter 54. There's three incredible pictures that depict the awful scenery around Judah. In Isaiah 54, there's three awful pictures that Isaiah the prophet presents to us about Judah as they saw themselves in this great chapter as we read it. Firstly, Isaiah tells us that Judah saw herself as a barren woman, unable to ever bring forth life. Then secondly, in the same chapter, Isaiah tells us that Judah felt like an abandoned wife who had been separated from her loving husband. And then thirdly, Isaiah again in this same chapter tells us that Judah not only saw herself as a barren woman, unable to produce life, or a forsaken wife, estranged from her loving husband, Isaiah also, finally, in a third picture, shows us that Judah saw herself as a crumbling, derelict city that had been robbed of all of her riches. These three pain-filled pictures of a barren woman, an abandoned wife, and a derelict city were the riveted images that hung on the heart and mind of God's people. They were in a hopeless place. They were at the lowest point in their history. But whilst Isaiah sees all of these awful pictures and images that described Judah's hopeless state, he also sees God in all of His mercy, God in all of His love, God coming to them, injecting hope and a fresh message into their hopelessness, into those despairing images that they held in their hearts, promising them new life. Only God can turn up and speak hope. Only God can turn up and promise new life into such despair as this. Wonderful change and blessing was coming Judah's way, and the changes were going to take place when Judah made choices that God was calling them to make as His people. Listen now, as we turn to Isaiah 54, how God called them in their barren state to break with their sorrow and silence and sing with new song and hope of expectation. Isaiah, and we're just going to focus really on Verse 1 this morning, Isaiah 54, verse 1, says this. Sing! It's good just to stop there for a few days and think about that one word. Sing, God says. Barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. 
shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. The choice that God is setting before His people, Judah, right at the outset of this chapter through the prophet Isaiah is very simple and very direct as he calls them to sing. Sing, he says, barren woman. And the change that would follow that song would be staggering. The change that would follow their obedience, the change that would follow that directed choice by the Holy Spirit would be supernatural. Judah, God declared, would bring forth more than any other around her. Her barrenness would leave, and she would give birth to many, many children. And this symbolically portrays the life and the power and the, 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 the new future that God had for this people. God was using a picture of a, and the pain that's in the picture of a barren woman. And he was calling his people to sing again in their barren state, in their hopelessness, to rise up in confidence, to rise up with new strength, to rise up and look away from what they had been through and look towards everything that God had for them. Rise up! Let your excitement begin again. Let there be a fresh new expectation in your heart. I'm calling you to make a choice because great change is about to come that I want you to be excited about, that I want you to see and understand. This was the context of what God was saying to this people. Whenever I read the opening line of this chapter, it always amazes me how strong and direct God is. He's not being condescending. He's not ridiculing the barrenness of their heart, the barrenness of their soul. He's not taunting them. Come on, sing. You're never going to do anything good. Come on, sing. You're never going to produce life. No, this isn't a taunt. This isn't ridicule. This isn't an insult from God. God knows what's in their future. And he's, he's been there before they get there. And he's calling them to come into it with a new song. This isn't a taunt. This isn't ridicule. This isn't an insult from God. No. Directly, he's commanding them. Directly, he's telling them to take charge now, in this moment, because the season is about to change for them. There's nothing somber in what God is commanding them to do. Or sorrowful. No. This is a joy-filled moment. This is a moment where He's calling them out of darkness into a brand new day. 
And the answer for their condition was not in giving them pitiful sympathy about their past, going over it and talking about it. No, forget that stuff. It's over. It's gone. It was painful. It was sorrowful. It was difficult. But forget that stuff now. And please, just with this, let me say this. I'm not talking about grieving here when we lose somebody. This isn't talking about that. I want to say that because we've all lost loved ones that we grieve over. And you know, the Bible actually encourages us to grieve. So this isn't talking about that. And people who are grieving and have grieved, that's very precious. It's very precious in the eyes of God. So I want to say that just so that we understand. God is very close to those with a broken spirit and who have a contrite heart. But this is not talking about that. They're in a barren place. They're in a barren state. And now God is seeking to inject life in them for them to get up on their feet and know again now a new confidence in God in relation to their future and in relation to what God wants to do for them. God's jump-starting them. You know, have you ever got into your car on a cold winter's morning? You turn the key. I mean, it's just not going anywhere. It's there stuck on the drive. And you think, oh man, what am I going to do? How am I going to get to work? How are we going to get on holiday? You've heard our adventures from Faye about cars and all the rest of it. I mean, we've had We've, I don't know how many times we've had cars jump-started. And you turn, the, oh my goodness me. And you're not going anywhere fast. And then suddenly you, you ring the little man from the AA or the RAC. And he comes along in his little truck. And he brings out his jump leads. And you, and you, you say to the man, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with the car. He said, oh, pop the bonnet, he said. He said, I'll show you what's wrong with the car. He pulls out his little leads, and he, he, he puts the leads on the battery, and he revs up his engine, and power, you see, power goes from, from his vehicle into your dead vehicle that slumbered on the drive. He says, turn the key now. You turn the key. The engine's bright. The engine's strong, and you're ready to go. You're ready to go. God was jump-starting His people, jump-starting them. Come on, I haven't given up on you. You've been in Babylon for 70 years. Your head has been messed up and, and filled with all kinds of stuff from the enemy. I haven't given up on you. And don't you believe all of that stuff that the enemy's told you, all of those fears, all of those doubts, all of those, all of those suspicions now that you carry in your heart? Away with that. Come on, let's jump-start you into your future. Sing! That's a good jump start from sorrow. Sing! That's a good jump start out of the silence that you've been hiding away in year after year after year. It was so beautiful to hear you singing this morning. Oh yeah, so wonderful, so beautiful. And I know that's the longing of our team here. I've heard Faye say it. And the, and the leaders, James and others, say it so many times. I've, I've overheard it. 
It was so wonderful to hear the people sing. That's what they live for, you see, to usher you into song, into God's presence. That's, that's why they serve us. They don't come up here to perform. They come up here as servants to serve us in our song to the Lord. And it, what a wonderful moment that was. I encourage you, you're never going to be told off for doing that here. You, nobody's ever going to shout at you for singing your song. And even after the song's finish, finished, for carrying on with a couple of lines of your own. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I worship you. Oh, I praise you. Be quiet. Thank you, Lord. I worship you. Shut up! You're messing up the song list. Oh, I love you, Lord. I worship you. I praise you. Not now! We got another song to... No, that's not how these guys operate. That's not how these guys operate. They'll go with you, man. Here to serve you. Oh, I thank you, Lord. And you know what? Even when the preacher's preaching and he's passionate about getting his notes out, if somebody pipes up, oh, thank you, Lord, we praise you. I might join you. I'll do the harmony. Thank you, Lord. But you get what I mean. You see, let's be, let's be free. I know sometimes, you know, we come into a place like this and, and you know, we, we look around and we, we feel a bit reserved and that's understandable. You know, we, we, we're stupid if we, if we say, oh, you know, that we don't feel that. Of course we do. You know, we, 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 we get restricted by social etiquette and social expectations that we have about one another. But, oh, what a joy it is, man. When, when, and, and I'm the same. I, I, I respect social etiquette and whatever. I, I, I feel that limitation. But I'm telling you now, I've been, I've been at times in my life where that etiquette has gone, where the power of the Holy Spirit just lifts it, just lifts it off his people. And it is wild, it is fantastic, it is joyful, and I love every minute of it. And maybe that might happen here one day. I mean, when, when the joy of the Lord just comes in and breaks out, in fact, it will happen because I've seen it. It's, 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 in, our, it's in our journey. It's in our journey. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. God was jump-starting them out of their silence. Come on. Come on. There's a new song to sing. I want you to sing it. And he commanded them. Now, singing, of course, was the last thing on their mind. Singing was the last thing on their mind. They had to contend with their barren state. They had to work out their hopeless position in life. Singing was the furthest thought that, that was in their mind, the furthest thought from their mind. And yet God comes and He jumpstarts His people and He commands them to sing. What a shock it must have been for them to hear those words, sing. Barren woman, 
But God was in the command. God was calling his people to take action, to start singing because supernatural things were going to take place. God was calling them to believe it before they saw it, to make a choice, and God would make the change. And their song, their song would remove their sorrow. Their song would break, would break their silence. Sorrow and sighing as they returned, as the Bible tells us, would flee away. That's what the Bible says. When, they, when the captives returned, it says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. In fact, I know a song about it. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come a-singing. Steve knows it. Unto Zion, an everlasting joy will be. How about some everlasting joy upon your head? How about that? How about everlasting joy upon your head? Back last year, I was on my bike, riding to work, and just by Cumbran Stadium, the Lord decided to speak to me. He speaks to me at Cumbran Stadium. It's wild. I ride past, and every now and again, Cumbran Stadium, I think, hmm, is the Lord going to speak? I'm passing Cumbran. It's happened so many times. So I was by Cumbran Stadium, and the Holy Spirit said this to me. I mean, the most simplest of words. I'm a very simple person. So I need, I need explanations that are extremely simple. Extremely simple. So the Holy Spirit said to me, and I know his voice, man, like you do, because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So he turns up on my little bike, pedaling my little heart out. He said, uh, he said, Dave, you look at the weather a lot, don't you? I said, yes, I do, Lord. Norma knows. I look at, yes, I do, Lord. He said, yeah, he said, uh, he said, you, you, he said, every day, he said, you look at the weather, BBC weather. I said, yes, Holy Spirit. And he, you see, he's going somewhere. I don't know where he's going, but he's going somewhere. I said, Lord, I, I check the weather because I want to see if it's going to be okay to ride my bike. He, I said, I check if it's raining. I check if it's windy. I said, because if I go down the canal, I want to make sure that no trees will blow over and hurt me. I said, I, I also check sometimes if it's going to be snowing and if there's going to be ice on the road. I said, I check if it's going to rain because I need to wrap up warm. I don't want to be cold. I'm always checking, in fact, Lord, what the weather is like. He said, uh, he said that's right, Dave. He said, I've noticed that. He said, you check the weather all the time. He said, can I ask you what the weather's like inside? He said, you're checking the weather on the outside, but how's the weather on the inside, Dave? Now, I didn't know what to say because there's lots of different weather conditions in my soul that can happen in any one given day. Sometimes it can be raining, thundering, <laughs> blowing a gale, snowing, and, and, and sometimes I've seen a couple of icebergs in there as well, and polar bears, my God. 
I mean, everything goes on in your soul. Do you know what he said? Do you know what he said this? He said, Dave, he said, I want to tell you about the weather condition inside you. I was all ears. He said, Dave, sunshine every day. Sunshine every day? Thank you, Jesus. I'll take that weather forecast any day. Sunshine every day, son. He said, you haven't got to have the ups and downs, or the inconsistencies of life. He said, he said, yeah, you'll go through turbulent times, but he said, you can have sunshine every day. And then he went ahead and gave me his word to back it up. He said, the path of the righteous is like the shining sun that grows ever brighter unto the perfect day. I'd say that's sunshine every day. I said, thank you, Holy Spirit. I will make the choice now to live in that, and I'll see the change. You see, it's simple, isn't it? We just listen to his voice. Make the choices in line with that guidance of word that he brings that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and change unfolds. Now, since that word, I've had a couple of storms. I've felt a couple of winds. There's been a bit of snow and a couple of icebergs that floated by in my soul that I've had to contend with, like you. But I've said, no, Dave, you've got to remember what the Holy Spirit said by Cumbrand Stadium. Sunshine every day. Come on, sunshine every day. Press into it. And you know what? Change comes. Change comes. The command was simple. The command was simple and uncomplicated. <laughs> it was uncomplicated. I mean, they'd been through 70 years of complication. They did not need one of these big, huge manuals that you get with a kettle. Have you seen that? You buy a brand new kettle, and you've got 17 encyclopedias now to explain how to turn the kettle on, and how much water to put in it. And my God, you'll never use the kettle if you read all the encyclopedias about it. No, they didn't need that kind of instruction. They needed a simple command. It's, it was all in one word. Sing. Sing. Let your song be strong, child of God. Let your song be loud. Let your song now break any silent area that in your life that, that has seemed unproductive, that has seemed out of reach of God, that has seemed not to flourish, that has seemed, seemed barren, sing over it. Sing over it. Don't just languish in sorrow. There, regretting, oh, if I wish I, I should have done, I, and all, no, sing over it. Sing over it with new song and expectation. In God, their song was, was, was to be sung, and the instruction was simple. Do you know when they were in Babylon? And I think God, God saw this moment. When they were in Babylon, there was an occasion when they sat down by the river. And it's recounted in Psalm 137. And... At that point where they were by the river in Babylon, they started to remember Zion. They started to remember the wonderful, glorious city of Jerusalem that had God's favor on it. They started to recount how they were, they were God's people. And they talked one with another. And yet their hearts 
were sorrow-filled. Their, 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 their mouths were silent. This Judah, the, the, the tribe of, of praise, the tribe of great song, had no song to sing. It had been stolen from them. And now they, they sat by that river in Babylon, filled with sorrow. They hung their harps up. They, they, they couldn't even touch their musical instruments to use in praise to God. What an awful, terrible, tragic state they were in. And to make matters worse, the Babylonians turned up, their captors, their tormentors. Sing us one of those songs that you're so famous for. Sing it to us, tormenting, rubbing salt in their open wound. Come on, sing your songs of praise. Judah, you're renowned to be the tribe of praise, the tribe of song, the tribe that, that, that sings victoriously to God. Come on, sing now. This is what it says in Psalm 137, 1 to 4. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, and there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You see, those Babylonian captors and tormentors, they knew the power of those songs. They knew how the songs of praise energized the people of God and how God inhabited the praises of His people. But now their heads were hung in sorrow and their mouths were filled not with joy, not with song, but with silence. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Judah responded, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? You may, be a, you may have been through a time just like this, and it's beautiful, you see, why this is in the Bible, because it gives us hope. Because just like those people that went through a time of great sorrow, where they couldn't sing those joyful songs to God of praise, you may have been through a time just like that, and whatever it might be that's caused pain, that's caused sorrow, that's caused you to be silent. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is saying, don't let it steal your song any longer. Sing again. God was calling His people not to live in sorrow anymore, not to hang there their harps up, but to sing, to burst into song. See, there's a progression through the verse. It starts with singing, and then they begin to burst into song. Their, their song was going to be spontaneous. God wasn't just giving them a few lines so that they could sing and then get to the end of the, the line and just settle back down in sorrow and silence. No, this singing was going to be spontaneous. This singing was going to burst out of them. 
and they were going to burst into song and that bursting of song was going to turn into, if you read the verse, a shout of joy. They were going to shout their praises to God. Their shout was going to return. I think the Lord is making a point here this morning for us about letting our song again rise in strength. I know sometimes it's difficult within the conditions that we face and the situations that we're in to sing with great strength. But I tell you now, it draws it draws the presence of God when we stand and we sing, irrespective of what we are going through. The presence of God empowers us to burst into song and to shout His praise, just like His people when they were returning back to their land. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. going to close in just a moment. I remember reading a testimony by a, pa a South African pastor called Andrew Murray. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read any books by Andrew Murray, but he was a prolific writer and an incredible pastor and preacher that God used in South Africa. And one day he was going to church to preach the word and as he approached the building he heard noise the sound of noise the sound of shouting the sound of singing coming from the church and it was unusual for him because he was usually the first person there but when he got to the church the church was already full of people they were all singing they were all shouting. Some were falling out of the pews. Laughter filling their mouth. The Holy Spirit was moving supernaturally and moved supernaturally among His people. Well, Murray was incensed. He thought it was crazy what was going on. And he walked down the aisle shouting at the people, Stop it! This is not God! This is disorder. This is wrong. There shouldn't be laughter and joy and shouting in the, in, the, in the house of God. Stop it. But nobody could hear him, or it was as if, and this was how he writes. He said, it was as if nobody could hear me. Everybody was deaf to my shouts, to my rebukes. He said, I tried to get up and preach. And he said, I mean, this is terrible, this is. Nobody would listen to his preaching. As the Spirit moved, well, he couldn't close the service. He walked out angry and incensed. Now, this is an incredible man of God. He came back the next week, and it happened again. People were there early. He was turning up late now. Even though he was on time, the people of God was there before him, singing, 
bursting into song, shouting praise to God. Out of control, lost all dignity in the presence of God together, relishing in His goodness, aware of His presence with them. Murray rebuked him again, shouted as he went down the aisle towards the pulpit. I mean, he had to get a sermon out and preach. Well, none of the people listened to him. They were just, they were looking at him and laughing at him. I mean, how terrible is that? <laughs> laughing uncontrollably, hilariously at his rebukes. And then just falling out because the Spirit of God was moving. And then he started to preach and again, it was as if, he was the only one hearing his sermon. Everybody else was laughing, crying, jumping, dancing in the Holy Ghost. And then in his own words, he says this, then, it took two weeks. He said, then, he said, I realized it must be the Holy Spirit moving among us. Us pastors are very slow, you know. We do need help. No, we do. We need a lot of help. That's why God puts us into the ministry, because we need it. We need it more than anybody else, praise God. It's true. He said, I realized that the Holy Ghost was, was moving among His people. And you know, I believe, I do believe, there's going to be great times in the church nationally, internationally, everywhere. See, there's going to be great times in the Spirit, right? There's going to be coupled to the Word of God. We, we have to have the Word of God, right? For instruction and, and edification and, and, you know, to be equipped, without a doubt, the, the Word, but we have to have the Holy Spirit move. We have to. And I believe in the church as, as many, many pastors and believers have said for many years, there's going to be a great move of the Spirit. Because with all of our advancing technolo technologically, there's nothing. There's nothing like turning your eyes on Jesus, looking into His beautiful face. When the presence of God comes, right, among His people, there will not be room. There will not be room to contain it. They'll be bursting out onto the streets. They'll be meeting in their homes. Every, there'll be increase. There'll be joy. Remember when Philip went, Philip the evangelist went down to Samaria. Tremendous persecution had driven him away from Jerusalem. But the miracle work of God started to move through that man. And what does it say? Great joy filled the city filled the city, not just a building, filled the entire city. And I believe the Holy Spirit through His church, through His people, is going to fill cities and countries with great joy. Hallelujah. And signs, wonders, and miracles are going to follow the declaration of the Word of God through your mouth, through my mouth, and through anybody else that would take it and speak it. Amen. We're going we're gonna to stand. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing in a moment. Listen, don't forget, tomorrow, sing that song. Sing that song. When the enemy comes to remind you 
about things that you cannot change, make the choice to sing that song because God is going to make the change. Amen. Father, I thank you for your precious people. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, for the, the, the people that, that are in this place, the family of God. Some of them have been stricken by an attack from the enemy, striking their body with illness. Lord, some of them have been stricken by the enemy as he's come to, 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 to make them feel guilty or, or ashamed or, or remind them of things that they don't want to remember. Lord, some of your people have, have, have just been wrestling, not with flesh and blood, but with, with awful principalities of, and powers and wickedness in heavenly places. They've been wrestling this week. They've been wrestling month after month, and yet they've turned up every Sunday singing their song. They've gone to work maybe with sorrow in their heart, and yet in the car they've been singing their praises to you and, and giving you thanks. And Lord, I thank you that it's to such a, a people, it's to such a people that supernatural change comes. Lord, we thank you for healing our bodies. Lord, we thank you for setting our minds free. Lord, we thank you for giving us joy and hope in place of sorrow and sadness and silence. Lord, we thank you for it. And this day, as we leave this place, Lord, we say to you that we will sing our song of praise. Irrespective of what faces us, we will raise our song to you, and that song will burst forth from our heart, and that song will become a shout of praise, joyful praise to you as change comes. We thank you for it, and I thank you for your people. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. We're going to sing. God bless you, and thank you for receiving God's Word this morning. God bless you.